0: This is a Hive Mind Studio production. Hello, gods and goblins, deities and deviants, and my fellow what the fucks. You're listening to Playing with Advantage, an informative podcast with the various aspects of the tabletop role playing genre. I, as always, am Kenneth Moffat, aka Southern Deity, across the various platforms. And with me is the man himself, James the Hive Master Bardwell. Hello, James. How are you doing today? Better than I deserve. I understand that. Although, James, I'm a bit concerned for within the studio today, I sense a dark and dangerous presence as though one who walks the nightlands and smiles upon oblivion and death itself. And oh my God, hell, ladies and gentlemen, we have with us Mr. Brody, Elder Fenris himself, the being from beyond the star. <laughs> hey, Brody, welcome to the podcast.
1: I'm glad that you've welcomed me across your threshold.
0: Uh, mm. yeah, the last vampire that didn't work out so well for either. Uh, so <laughs> kind of glad to have Brody with us today, as today's topic is one that we as Dungeon Masters have seen also as players at the D&D table have seen. Uh, today's topic is the toxic traits, and red flags that both players and Dungeon Masters will show, as well as maybe a few D&D horror or tabletop horror stories that we have examples of this. I have come across many examples of this, both playing games. Unfortunately, in my early games as a Dungeon Master, I kind of uh, showed a few of these traits as well. Yeah. So let's, let's get right into it with the first one I think is the most common is the Dungeon Master that, James, you spoke about. It's the Dungeon Master with the sense of it's me versus the player. Yeah,
2: that that's a horrible position to ever find yourself in. And if I wind up in one of the go- those games, the first thing that I'm probably going to do is figure
0: out the quickest way to extricate myself. Oh most most definitely. I I it's it's one of those things that if you ever get in that mindset of, you know, I have to beat my players, it's your your players aren't going to have any fun because the game is about a mutual enjoyment, a mutual storytelling, where if anything they do, you just, you know, give it the the kibosh and say, No, that's not gonna work and you can't win, they have no reason to attempt to play the game.
2: Yeah. like well, as a DM, um, there's gonna be a little natural back and forth there just because you're running all the antagonists of the world. Like that is your place, you know, and your your character your player characters are gonna have to try to overcome that, but it should never turn into us against the DM or the DM against the group. Just as a as the driving force for the campaign.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. It should always it. The game is a collaborative storytelling game, so you should be working with your players to tell a story, not. Let's fight against the DM and everything that he tries to do, or vice versa. No one has fun in that scenario because it's a very one-sided
2: uh, debate. The, the DM has the power you know, yes. in, in that
0: scenario, uh, and it, it's very toxic. And as, as the individual who sets the rules of the reality that they're playing in, you as the Dungeon Master are limitless in your power. Whereas your players are only uh, your players are bound by what their characters can do. Yeah, and if you can make things up on the spot, and you know your players can't, it really is a one-sided fight. Yeah, a person with
2: a—I'm uh, going to choose some words here. I'm not sure the, they're the best ones, but an, an unhealthy psyche um, will really feed into that from the dungeon yes. master's standpoint, and it, it becomes ugly.
0: I agree. Uh, it's that sense of, and I know this kind of this kind of attitude especially is felt by those who maybe lack a sense of control in their own life. And so when they get behind the DM screen and they get that sense of, you know, okay, well, I'm in control here. You know, this is my world, my story. They have to bow to my will. They have to go against me. Now, look, I, if you watch my Natural One games, if you listen to my other games I run, you would think I hate my players. I want to crush their characters in the mud put my boot on their neck, and cut their heads off. Yeah, I'll be the first one to tell you that whenever they foil some great big plot I have, I get angry. And then I go, okay, guys, that, that was great. Well done, well done. Here's a reward for doing that. You have to find that happy medium between uh, I'm going to kill you and everything you love, and hey, that was really cool. Do more of that.
2: You used a word there is—it is, sticks out in this, this scenario. You said reward. I know we talk a lot about consequences yes. uh, as from a DM standpoint. Actions have consequences. If you kill this person, the guard's going to be after you from now on, that kind of thing. Rewards, that's the other side of that coin. Um, I am never more happy in a game then when I have put forth a scenario, something difficult, and the players find a creative way to solve that that I didn't naturally intend, right? Because that means that they're they're living in the world that I've got yes. going on. They're, they're being creative, and you want to reward that. It does mean that you as a DM are going to have to invest more in the improv sometimes, but going into being a DM, you should know you're going to have to do some improv. Oh, yeah.
1: And that kind of kind of rolls into the DM putting in a lot of work and building the setting, building the story, building the characters for the, the players' characters to interact with, you should never get mad or frustrated when the players do things that are beyond what your notes are prepared for. That's part of learning improv. And, you know, improv doesn't come naturally. I mean, it can for some people, but it takes time to kind of build those skills. And if yes. you have a really good group... They'll help
0: you build those. Exactly. Uh, kind of leading into that is the the idea of a dungeon master that they they don't want you to to improv. Like they have their set story, and it's the dungeon master who who always says no. Like you know, no, no, you can't go that direction. This is the only direction you have to go. Uh, that the dungeon master who doesn't want to go. Well, you know, yes, and or maybe yes, but but it's always no no it's my story it's my way or the highway railroading railroading that, that's a big i mean I, the the uh fusion does uh, as we as my old professor would say we'll define our terms here literally it's railroading because much like a train or any sort of like any sort of uh, vehicle that needs a track it can literally only go the direction those rails are laid and so a story that is very linear a lot of your like first person shooter games are railroaded games there's literally only a certain area you can uh, you can react in, you can move about in, and the rest is completely unobtainable.
2: As far as railroading, to put that kind of in a metaphor, if you're on a train and you're going through some of the most beautiful countryside, um, you can still enjoy that. Like there's there's a there are people and a way for that to be enjoyable. If your scenery is beautiful, your scenery is beautiful. You're going to enjoy that ride. Yeah. Whereas if if you get in a uh, Winnebago with five of your best (laughs) friends, and go across the country and just kind of like wake up in the morning and decide, let's go here, let's go there. That's a whole different kind of adventure, and that's just a change in scope, really.
0: Ooh, world's largest ball of string. Let's go
2: there. Let's set it on fire if you're (laughs) my players. That's fair, yeah.
1: (laughs) I used to be really bad in the my early gaming career as a DM of being very guilty of railroading, and I was told over time that like, hey, this is not as fun as you think it is because we want to do this other thing and we just keep getting steered toward this other thing and we don't want to do that. As I've grown and matured, I have stopped doing that because for some people it's easier to avoid, but others it's kind of like a power trip almost and they, they, they feel like this is my story. This has to be this way. And you kind of, you have to break your mindset of that. If you're going into being a DM, one of the things that you need to figure
2: out how to do is to find joy in people living in the world
0: that you've created. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the, you because, you know, they, it's the whole thing where, yes, it is a, it is a collective storytelling game, but you as a DM, you play the game different than your, your player, the, the players do. Uh, your interaction in the game, maybe not the role play and the aspect and the relationships that your your players are building, but your enjoyment co- should come from your players' relationship to the world you've created, to the NPCs you've made, to the the situations and the places that they have been and seen. That is where the dungeon master kind of you know kind of shines through, is if the players they begin to fall in love with the world you've made as much as they have with character, uh, and a lot of this is done through like player agency. Again, you know, not putting your, your players do two too tight of rails or because there is a happy medium. I've been in games where we had no direction at all. We could do whatever we wanted to. The story never went anywhere. But at the same time, you literally had the, you have to go this direction and nowhere else.
2: If you're lucky as a DM, you will have that character within your group that recognizes the value of the story. And he tries to both, you know, move that forward and create opportunities for everybody to show the spotlight on yes. occasion, like Travis Willingham comes to mind here because the guy's fantastic at it, like he yes. is the d and d totally he's yeah. the player everybody would love to have at their table, right uh he just he does a great job, he's very considerate, he moves things forward, he creates opportunities for the spotlight to shine on other
0: people. I loved watching him in the first campaign, learning how d and d worked and then the things that he could do and the, how his character grew and it, it was it was great you you mentioned spotlight. Mm -hmm. Now, we're getting to when we discuss the the player red flags. There is a a DM red flag where uh, it's the DM who has uh, the spotlight. They have to be in the spotlight so much that they create what we call the DM NPC. The pet character. The pet character. The Dungeon Master's non-player character. Yeah. Or sometimes they just call it the Dungeon Master's player character. Yeah. It's a character that usually the Dungeon Master self-inserts so they can enjoy the fun with players. Now, it may start innocently enough. But there are some times when the Dungeon Master, again, because they are God, they know things other players don't. And so that tends to sometimes eke into their characters until you get an issue where, you know, there are no reason for the players to do anything. This DMN PC can do everything. Why are we even here?
2: Yeah. At that point, it's... So I don't know if you've ever had had like a favorite TV series, right? And it starts off great. This is a wonderful story, okay? And then as it goes it kind of seems like, you know, well, the story's been told, but it just keeps on going. To me, that's how it feels to play with a DM kind of pet character that they want to insert into everything. You know, it's no longer everyone's story. It's kind of this thing that you're just along for the ride on, and it was fun to begin with, but now... uh,
0: Are we riding on a Chevy Impala? Look, (laughs)
2: why do you keep calling me out? (laughs) Sam.
0: Dean, Sam, <laughs> Sammy. <All right. laughs> For those of you who don't know, we're talking about Supernatural. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but no, yeah, it's a similar. It's the the fact that the it's almost in a way that the dungeon master doesn't trust his players enough or thinks so little of them that there's no way they can understand my greatness and advance my story. So I have to put myself into the game to push the story along. And if that's your... That's what you're thinking, your story may not be that
2: good. So, for me, a mark of a fantastic DM is when he sees something in the players that he can cultivate to help them get to that point. Like, I agree, if you go to the family reunion, you don't let the coked out uncle hold the baby, right? You (laughs) want your story to be in good hands. Yes. You know, so you need to try to go over what your expectations are for moving the story. Uh, in the zero session, I mean, we talked about the zero session. This is you set expectations. If you don't set an expectation, you can't expect somebody to live up to it. Very true. Life and D anD. d You're yes. welcome.
1: Yeah, I have plenty of characters that I um, they're NBCs that are I admit are favorites of mine. They usually end up being favorites of the party as well. <laughs> that I refer to as a clue bat. And yeah. it's if I see my players struggling to find something, fight something, they are usually there to help guide them as opposed to just move aside, let me do this, which is the wrong way of doing
0: that. Yeah. Well, Brody, you realize that the the, the term there, clue bat, has two connotations. The first being the little fluttery creature that leads them everywhere. The second being, there's the story, get there, or I'm going to hit you with us bat. I mean, there's a, there's kind of a double. <laughs> the distinction is in which one of those directions you go.
1: <laughs> Look, sometimes we have those days where we're all at the table and we're rolling dice and things are just not moving. The DM is just like struggling and the players are struggling. It could be an off day and some, somebody just has to go, hey, there's the story. Get it. <laughs> I, if I have those characters, those NPCs that I really
2: love and stuff, and uh, I use them in the story, I, I try to use that more often as backdrop than not. Like if there's a battle going on, uh, I will have the NPC with this other portion of the battle, right? He's there. The, the The players feel a connection to him. But he is not responsible for winning the day. Yes. Yeah.
0: A good, a good DM NPC should facilitate the players and their actions. Like I, none of every time, none of my DMPCs will take the final shot on, on a villain. No, they will usually set up some way. Okay, cool. I can see on my, he's got, uh, I, I could kill him one hit. I want to cast this healing spell or do this thing that will allow a player character to step in and get that final shot. Yeah.
1: Uh, A good example of that is in the first Stagande campaign. You guys were fighting. It was near the end, and there was a big uh, Eldritch entity y'all were fighting, and uh, it had just really high armor, really high defenses. And y'all were, were, admittedly, I was watching y'all struggle to hit it, and I was like, okay, well, I have to improv, come up on the fly, and fix this problem that I created, so that you know they won't feel so hopeless. So one of, a fan favorite NPC Soulstone, uh, Monk Daddy popped up and just struck this this entity with a super powerful attack and did some damage to it and visibly showed them oh it's weakened now. He did something that allowed a, it gave us a little bit of agency to win the tide. Well then something else came up and he goes I'm out and then just popped in the yeah. background and started <laughs> fighting uh, things to help them as yeah. well and. It, it's just a small little taste of being able to give them a little bit of aid, without railroading too much. Makes yeah, that, that makes, makes sense. sense. I, I think when Moffat used the word facilitate, he hit it
2: on the he hit the nail on the head. Yeah, like they they don't drive the story like. This, the, that vehicle is meant to be driven by your characters, yes. right? So yes. these NPCs, they're like a vehicle to help move the story along, but they don't drive the vehicle. Yes. You don't
1: ever want to take agency away from your players.
0: No, exactly. And that's actually another, another red flag for DMs or the DMs who do take agency away. The ones who will go, okay, no, that's not what your character does. This is what they do. They literally dictate what the player is doing, even if they don't want to do it that that's a big red flag Is if i'm trying to like i've actually had a conversation with somebody on my, one of my lives where the dm made their character sheet and told them how they would play it mm. and that that's just that is a massive i even told them no no that is a massive red flag if i were you abandon ship abandon, get
2: out yes whether it be player or dm uh for me if i'm a player uh one of if it's another player or a dungeon master One of the quickest ways to actually get me upset, and I usually stay pretty chill, is to assume to lead my character. That is a big problem for me. I I want to have control of my agency. Present me with options. That's fantastic. You know, I my character wants to do this. I go. I do this this way. But don't be like I grab your character and we run out of the door. No, that's I get to make that decision. We move
0: towards the door. That's how you word that. Yeah. Uh, I that a lot of that comes to communication. Uh, and that's, again, we kind of leading to the various ones here. The, the DM who doesn't listen to their players, another red flag, specifically, and James, you mentioned this a moment ago, in what we call the session zero. Yeah. Session zeros are made to where you and your players can lay a groundwork. Now, it doesn't have to be a big formal affair. It'd just be you guys sitting around talking on the Discord. But there should be the groundwork be laid for, you know, what, what you like to play, what kind of stories. But specifically, what are some things that you don't want to happen? What are some boundaries you have? What are some uh, expectations? Some expectations, yeah. And I know a lot of a lot. I've had a lot of issues. I've seen a lot of horror stories that evolve around, evolve around dungeon masters not caring about you know what are my limits or your my expectations. And it's no your limits and expectations. Uh, to use a a very popular meme like voice. Your limits and expectations are what I tell you they are, because I'm the dungeon master. Yeah, yeah that that's again. when I go, nope, I'm, yeah. uh, this table's not for me. We we have a saying here, and I firmly hold to it. No D&D is better than bad D&D.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> it may take a while, but you'll, you'll find your table. A lot of these problems, I think, boils down to trust. Yes. If you if you sit down at a table with a bunch of strangers, which happens a lot, and you know, strangers are just sometimes or friends we have we don't know yet. That uh, takes a while to build trust, and if you don't trust the other people at the table and the DM, then that's going to just lead to problems down the road.
0: Uh, and the there's a lot of those problems are are addressed again in the session zero. This one kind of. Uh... We'll segue from DM into player because they both affect it. It's where the DMs and players they hear these, they hear these uh, these terms, these limits. They they hear these people go, I trust you enough to say these are my problems, these are what my concerns, these are my fears, and then they not just don't listen to them, but actively use them in a way that they think should progress the story. Uh, They I've I've heard uh, I've heard stories where DMs will take literal traumas they know that their players have experienced and make them part of the story and, in a way, force this player to relive that trauma. Oh, no, that's
1: a, that's a big no-no.
0: And, and that, that falls well within the purview of boundaries. And and hard nos and what should be allowed and what should Like so I
2: one of the reasons that's just so incredibly wrong is because a lot of the time real real life issues and traumas and things affect us in a way that we have a hard time breaking free of. Yes. And I've I've said a million times that D is therapy, right? And this this fantasy setting with these people who quickly become like family give you an opportunity to kind of heal from that. And for somebody to take the very thing that you are in this world, you know, trying to find a safe place again and throw that into your fantasy world, God, that's just
0: wrong. I I have a, when I have my system zeros, I have a list I go through of these are my rules and that kind of thing. One of the questions I ask is what are some issues, topics, some boundaries that you have? You don't have to tell me out loud. We can write it down. You can text it to me, but things that are off limit. And I... I do my best to to facilitate all. And there, there, are, you get the couple of weird ones of you know, like I, uh, you know, I, I don't like. I have one that she had an issue with, uh, with a certain ocu- a certain uh, ocular body part, where the just uh, you could, I could, I could describe beheading somebody in graphic detail. She was fine. I mentioned the word eye, it bothered her. So I would go, okay, that, That's a little bit of an odd one, but I still, that's enough. I can go out of my way to you know, kind of facilitate now when she wasn't there eyes eyes everywhere all the eyes all the time <laughs> whatever she was there i would make sure because yeah to me that may not have made a lot of sense but again we're all trying to enjoy this game and i trust and respected her enough that i would do that
1: i had uh an incident where um i was running a short game and there were i didn't actually think about it it's partly my fault um i didn't ask beforehand so that was all on me uh there was somebody at the table that was afraid of snakes and granted, you know, a lot of people are, but you know, it's not one that's as big, like say like spiders, Yeah, spiders or no. Spiders uh, are evil. Yeah. And so a lot of the enemies were snake based. Ah. So when I put that first mini down on the table, they were like, Oh, I hate snakes. And I stopped and I looked at them and I was like, Oh, wait, is, are you serious? And they're like, Yes. And I'm like, okay. And then I stopped right there, just dead and track. I guess I said, is this going to be a problem? And they're like, I, if I see them in real life, I'm bothered by it. this right here. No, I'm fine. I'm like, are you sure? Like, yes. I was like, okay. So I, it's 100% is super important to get that before the games yes. begin.
0: Yeah. Because like some of the most common enemies in like D&D and monsters and role-playing games are, you know, like spiders and snakes. Things that are supposed to elicit that primal fear response. Yeah. And it does it for a reason. But again, like, there are some people that that fear is debilitating. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, like, I've I've got a bunch of miniatures that I swear in a dark room, you think they're actual spiders. Guess, yeah. Uh, but it's kind of leading from that, from it's not just those who who use that against you, but also the, the DMs and players that they do it, maybe not, because, okay, yeah, they, they do it because they're trying to, uh, to push a role-play experience. Then you have the other side of that where they're doing it just because they want to make you squirm, where they, they take these traumas, they take these boundaries you have, and they break them and they push past them just because they get a gleeful joy, what they call the, uh, the schadenfreude, of, of watching somebody just get so emotionally drained and disturbed. And that is not okay in any walk of life. If you, have an, if you get pleasure from someone else's trauma and physical pain, there's my door. You can leave. Deposit, not return. Do not pass go. Just get the hell out, please.
2: Yeah, as the DM, it's one of the responsibilities we have is to kind of protect the table. Yes, right?
0: there, there is a, 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 I call the sanctity of the table. It is, a, it is a mutual respect that as soon as you sit down, Whether you know it or not, you have agreed to respect everyone here equally, to respect them as though nothing outside this table matters. It doesn't matter their political views, orientation, gender, no matter what affiliations they have. That does not exist within this table. This table, we are all equal. We are all friends. We all respect each other. that's a big deal for me is the respect of the table of each other and the sanctity of the game. When you sit down to the table, for me, at least,
2: there's a social contract for these types of things. And the bar for it is only as high as it is for the lowest bar for the person in the room. Like you don't exceed
1: that. Um, James, you mentioned something about um, people using D and D as therapy. Now i I would agree with that. In a lot of cases, people do that, and they may do it subconsciously yeah. without realizing it. I just—I know we're going to do stories a little bit later, but it just immediately popped in my head an of, of instance where, and I had forgotten about it, uh, a player was at my table, and they were just, you know, it was a lighthearted game, and then they just brought this, this moment up, and they kept going, and they were using it in character, and by the time they were done, everybody at the table was dabbing their eyes because they were they were crying, and it was like, oh wow, <laughs> this this was a moment. Do we all need to take a break and go get something to drink or something? And it was, it was, honestly, it it go, it circles back to that trust thing because they felt comfortable enough to share something that affected them with everybody at the table.
0: To express real emotion. Yes.
2: And the thing about that is, so we mentioned that the DM throwing that out there because he knew it would elicit a re- an emotional response, and then one that the other person is probably not ready to deal with. But the difference there, and this is where it kind of edges back into that therapy territory, is when that player recognized within themselves this thing that has been dormant there, that they have felt, and they trust that table, that new family enough To put that out there, and they allow that to be worked through.
0: I I was—I think—as a dungeon master, your goal is not to force emotion. Yeah, you're to offer a catalyst, and then it's your players that they have the opportunity to go. You know what? I'm ready for this. I will be. Let's begin. Let's take this, and now we pull into the. You
2: create a venue, and you let your players fill it. Yes, and that what you said is perfect.
0: You facilitate that.
1: I'm pretty sure we all hugged it out after that, <laughs> just going off a of memory. But yeah. you know.
0: I like I I've been in some. Now the thing is that doesn't mean every player has to feel emotionally. Like I've been nope, in a game no. where like three of the people at the table were crying. I'm sitting there going, I'm it's I don't because it wasn't affecting me as much. And the DM because it was we were playing GURPS, and you have different advantages and stuff. And the DM looks at me, he's like, dude are you okay? I, I go, yeah, man. It's just, I wasn't attached to this character as these other people were. Because This is a very, I understand serious moment. I'm being very solemn. He goes, man, take the advantage unfazable. Like it's you, you just, because in, in GURPS, uh, emotions and fear and reactions, and that kind of stuff will affect the character. So apparently just because I in game and it was, uh, it was less that I, it was just, I did not have been playing the game that long. I didn't know this NPC. So it, it hadn't, I mean, yeah, the other people were actually having an emotional reaction, and I wasn't. And it was kind of, I was kind of almost made made to feel like that because I didn't show an emotional reaction, I wasn't role playing
2: correctly. Yeah, I mean, your character just hadn't had an opportunity for that to be important
0: to them, it sounds like. And it's kind of, I was kind of segue that into because thankfully none of these people did that. But there are the players who will dictate your role play to you. No. Like, hmm. no, no, You this is what your character should be feeling right now, kind of thing. Yeah. No. Uh, and again, the, the dungeon master isn't the only one that can take away player agency. Like yeah. you said, other players, players, like, well, I'm going to yeah. grab, we run out the door. No, you're always supposed to, uh, it's the whole thing that even among yourself, player agency is a thing. Uh The, you always have that red flag for the player is the one who who believes themselves to be not just the leader of the game, but the leader of the party in the sense that all the players have to do what I tell them to because I've been playing D&D the longest, that kind of player.
2: So that is one of my pet peeves, of course, um, and I have a really hard time with that. Like, it takes me out of the game completely. Um, The best way that I have kind of seen to handle that, uh, that particular player, is for everyone to understand roles and how leadership is mobile within yes. the group like if if we're in a situation that we're talking to a king or a business owner you know the bards up front the bards handling that if we are preparing to go into a battle you know usually our fighter will help organize that leadership role moves according to what the situation is
0: the the best example that i think again going back to Travis Willingham was in the the Vox Machina Mm-hmm. If you notice, each of those took it in turn to kind of step into a leadership position. Even Grog, at some point, the more comedic relief character, when he when they were dealing with his stuff, he stepped in for leadership. And then later in in campaign two with Ford, yeah, uh,
2: and it takes it takes a little bit of of the group playing together before they settle into their dynamic, but uh if if you facilitate and you help them understand that it will flow so much better and you'll get to see them really come alive and it helps the dm be able to move the spotlight around so oh, that yes. everybody feels noticed and you know like their character gets to grow
0: yeah uh you you mentioned again spotlight because we have the we mentioned the dm who likes to show the favorites you know unfavorites put the spotlight on themselves or certain yeah. people you have the player that they we call them the uh I guess the, like the spotlight hog or the Mary Sue, the the main character, that's what it's called. It's known as the main character syndrome. They have to be the one, they have to be the hero of time going to fight the darkness. They they have to be the lone wanderer coming from vault 111. Uh, it doesn't matter. There's five other people at the table who have their own thoughts and motivations. Nah, uh This is my story. You guys are all just background characters. Now get in line behind me.
2: Mm. As a DM, that that player wears me out to no end because i i try to make sure like i have my notebook and i keep track of kind of where the story has shown the spotlight because i i want to make sure i hit everybody within a certain amount of time more or less and that person you put something out there for say the rogue and that person immediately tries to insert themselves into that and figure out where they want to drive it because everything relates to their character Sometimes it's not about you. You know, you've got to let everyone figure out how to
0: experience that and have their moment driving the story. Now, what gets sad, I've seen it happen before. Actually, it's one of my horror stories, is where that player and the DM are kind of working together for various reasons. And so everyone else is then forced to take a back seat to this one player and their machination. And every one of, and it just, it's,
2: there is a DM, um, and I won't name this person because they're, they're, they're not a bad person. They're not a bad DM. But they were in a situation to where uh, they were working for someone running a game. And uh, this person they're, they're, that they worked for, uh, their son was in the game, Right. And I have several of these people in games here at the Hive now. And to this day, and this was years ago, they talk about how little they felt involved with this game that they were playing and how it felt like they were just showing up to watch the DM and this one kid um, kind of marry Sue this whole story. And they, were, they were, didn't even really feel like bit players. They would do something and this, this kid would like correct them and no, that's not what you do because this is what I'm doing. And that would mess me up. Wow, you know, it was it was rough, and it caused caused a lot of problems.
1: Uh, one of the things that I do is um, I'm a very cinematic DM, is what I prefer to call myself as. Yeah. And one of the things that I do with my groups, and James can attest to this, is uh, and at the beginning of my games, I, I, everybody knows at my table that everybody gets their part in the story. Everybody has the spotlight on them. What When it happens is dependent on which direction the story goes. And that's partly on me, too, because when I'm, I'm doing my notes and stuff, it may shift on a drop of a dime. Like one moment you could be doing some random help this farmer out. And the next minute is, oh, God, we have to go save uh this player character's brother from this evil king. <laughs> and it's like, what just happened? But... Uh, it it's all about um m- making sure everybody at the table feels like they have a chance to be in the spotlight, making sure that nobody gets left out, N- making sure everybody gets to tell the story of their character to
0: fruition. I know a lot of this comes from things like Skyrim and the 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 role playing games where you are really the only person playing it. Yeah, yeah, and then you have a lot of and it's, it's because of nerd culture and the, the kind of people that enjoy D&D. You have all these people who also like watching anime. And a very common trope oh, yes. in anime is the, the one character who could never do wrong. He is the most powerful individual. He will die. He'll come back. They'll gather the seven Dragon Balls. And well, I'm sorry, that got too, <laughs> too specific there for a second. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's that, and a lot of, especially new players, brand new players, they see all this and they want to start these, these backstories or these epic things of, you know, well, I, I was a member of the army. I rose to be a general. Then this happened. I discovered that this and yada, yada. And I ruled the town. I'm like, you're level one, dude. Yeah. You're, you're literally, you just came out of your basic boot camp. That is your power level right now. You are what? level one. Easy, Goku. Let's work on it, Dovakine. We'll get there. I promise you. It's
1: like it's great. I, you have wonderful uh, aspirations. Let's dial it back some, and and <laughs> this is where the story starts that will lead you there. Exactly. <laughs> or the flip side of that is maybe you did do all this. Maybe at one point in time you decided to take a break. You're maybe an older character, and you decided to start adventuring again. You might have some of that experience. I mean, you have the knowledge and experience there, but your power level's kind of gone down some because you haven't been doing it as often. It's just like a muscle, you got to keep it working in order to keep it in shape.
0: Reminds me of a story I heard where a, a lich got who lived so long, he got tired of being evil <laughs> and he became an adventuring wizard uh and it was it was it was was great basically he approached he he was evil for so long he became good again (laughs) swung back around (laughs) to good Swung back around to good it it was great but yeah a lot of that is because again new players get excited yes uh
2: well a lot of this like many of these things may not be malicious right yes like you said the the media we watch the input we have you know, it it will lead us to a lot of these things. It it could just be, you know, this is what I've seen, this is what I think would be cool. And they're trying to reproduce that. So again, back to being a facilitator, it is your job as a DM to help facilitate um that shift in paradigm, to to help them see, you know, this is a multiplayer couch co-op, right? <laughs> you know, we've got to rely on each other a little bit. Before long, you'll have SEAL team six out there calling orders to each other, converging <laughs> on your yes. bad guys and ruining the whole Seasons worth of BBEG in like the third
0: session—is it that right, Tech Mike? <laughs> yes. While while you may be the Justice League, not everybody can be Superman. True. But yeah. you, you mentioned something there. Like a lot of time, these come out of a place of maybe ignorance or or inexperience, but not maliciousness. Yeah. However, you do—I have seen examples where players will bring outside aggression into the game. Oh no! But specifically, like here to. Let's, here this is a game store we filmed this in my film that we recorded this. In. Uh and very common thing that happened is playing Magic the Gathering. Now Magic the Gathering is a game that if you let it it can be very emotional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially if they like I last this last past day I had I had to tell the, my my friend man look I was just messing. I wasn't actually angry at you. It was just a great time. But I have seen like uh like aggressions and card games from video game where somebody would get offended or or have their feelings hurt or get angry outside of the D&D. And suddenly when the game starts, now their character is angry at this other character when there was no reason for it. And it just drains everything out of the session.
1: One of the things that I used to say, and I I probably should bring it back, but fortunately with my group, I don't have to say that, is um, when you come to play at my table, leave your baggage at the door. Don't bring it to my table. I had an experience where there was two players that didn't get along very well, but they really both wanted to play D&D, and there would be some of that animosity rearing its head. I'm like, look, guys, if y'all want to keep doing this, y'all got to get along. I don't care what y'all did outside of this room, but here, don't bring it. You're yeah. going to ruin it for everybody at the table. Oh,
0: yeah. yep. Uh, a Like when I have a similar rule where... Like Use your se- dad voice. I would, yeah. Hey, now. Oh <laughs> uh, Yeah, I have a similar You're rule. You're an all-star? <laughs> I, use this, I, I have a similar rule, James. <laughs> <laughs> Where my, but my rule is nothing exists outside of this tape. There are no plug-in, no political officials. If you have an issue with somebody, it exists outside the game. Inside the game, the two of you are best friends on an adventure. But Because once you start bringing all those outside influences, it starts to, a, a, a bad mood will, will, will be infectious. It's difficult to be around somebody in a bad mood, and then eventually you yourself kind of, you start getting into that rut or that bad mood as well. And it will, I've seen, I've seen one, somebody having one bad day ruin and end D&D. Sad that it happened.
2: Mm, yeah, that that goes back to the sanctity of the table you're talking about. You know, and you, that's, that's something we all have to kind of protect when yeah. we're playing this game.
1: Respect.
2: Respect. <laughs>
0: as, as a dungeon master, you 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 carry many hats. You're... Uh, you're you're a group dad, you're a storyteller, you're a a you know a, a policeman in some capacity. You're trying to keep everything safe and pure. Yeah. Uh, you and you know, a lot of times you're uh, kind of segwaying into it, you are a dictator or provider of rules. And this is the one I was waiting for the last because this is one where every dungeon master has had one of these at the table. And that is <laughs> the nefarious
2: rules lawyer. The so rules lawyers. This is the reason I started doing Zero Sessions, literally. <laughs> um, for me, I am not a super mechanical DM. Um, the numbers are very important. I've talked about how you got to have that framework that has to be solid. But one of the things I cover in games is I am a little more rule of cool than rules of written. Yeah. Um, and for me, the game is about the story. I want to see what I've put together, and how you mold that and shape that, right? So that's the important part for me. If you are someone who wants to build a min-maxed character, which is fine, and do everything rules is written to get the most efficiency out of your character, it's probably in the table for you. Uh, not a bad thing. There are games for you like that, but you're probably not going to enjoy what I'm doing as much. So. so
1: you and I are pretty similar in that facet? Yeah. What? Um, I'm, like I said, when I was like cinematic DM where I, I am more rule of cool than rules yeah. is written, but I'm also, I, I tend to be a little more on the mechanical side than you probably. Cause yeah. I do a lot of homebrew.
0: Yeah. Um, yes. I, now again, define our terms. A rules lawyer is someone who they, they know the, the rules of D and D, whatever edition it is backwards and forwards. And they will often, if the dungeon master tries to make a call or something, that they are the one who uh, speaks up. You know, oh, by the no, that's not how this works. There's this, this, and this. But there's a connotation there. A rules lawyer, a lawyer is trying to advance their position from it. Yeah. So there, there yeah. is a bit of selfishness to it. In my Natural One games, all of my guys know the rules and the regulate, know the rules of d d And sometimes they will, with each other, go, hey, man, no, that's, this is how this works. Remember, you get this addition to that. Or if I go, hey, does this, I, I'm, I'm not familiar with your class abilities. Is this what it does? No, no, it does this. A, a rules advisor, someone that can kind of help you out, is very useful.
2: I, I do that at my tables because I know the rules is not a place where I'm super strong. Um, I genu- Generally, I have someone
0: there who uh, I know knows the rules, and I can like, hey, real quick, this. Yeah. The again, the the bad part comes from where it's that lawyer mentality where they're trying to advance their themselves ahead of their contemporary. Yeah. And,
2: and an, a rules argument um, will take the game down real quick. Yes. You you have to another one of those zero session things you need to cover is if there's a dispute, if you say something and then I know there's my responsibility to make a decision there. I'll make the decision and past that we address it after the game. Be it right or not, not that wrong. it can't not that it can't yeah. be addressed. Um I totally get that I'm you know I'm fallible. I'm not yeah. saying I'm not. But for the sanctity of the table, we're gonna make a decision,
1: move along and we'll address we'll it after back. the fact. At facts. that
0: moment, be it right, be it wrong, I've made my call. We're gonna move past it. We yeah. can discuss it later.
1: Yeah, you don't want to kill the momentum of the session. Yeah. Momentum
2: is hard to get hard to keep.
1: Fortunately, I have two at my table, like Casey and Matt, both are advisors. Like, immediately, and you can go back and watch some of the earlier Stagande episodes. Um, if I get something wrong, or if you I'm glance, yeah, I've seen it. Uh, I'll, seen I'll it. look across the table and Casey will arch his eyebrows and be like, mm, That's a look, or the nod, the nod, too. He's like, like, I yeah. don't think that's right. And then, or I'll see one of them, either Matt or Casey, will reach for the book <laughs> and it's like, Uh oh, I've done something wrong.
2: Xander's, Xander, my son, is usually uh, my my rules guy because uh, he has an excellent memory for that. And I've told Moffat recently I'm super jealous because he can just put things in his head <laughs> and hold them
0: forever. I don't know how he does it. I have the worst recall in the world. I don't hold on to anything. Oh, my long-term memory is amazing. My short-term, I don't – who are you again? <laughs> it's not. The voice uh, in the back of your head. <laughs> But no, yeah, like my natural ones, there was, there was a a moment where like I, I made a ruling on something. I went back later and finally I made the wrong ruling. Now my players respected my authority and I later came guys, I'm sorry. I made the wrong ruling. Uh, I know better now. I'm going to adjust some things. We're good to go. And that was it. Yeah. But it's that moment where you get the, uh, the, you go, I'll use it for instance. Uh, I want to drink a health potion. Okay. You can do it as a bonus action. Uh, Actually DM, it's an action to drink a potion. I go yeah I understand that really doesn't make much sense because you know you just pop it and drink it that's 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 that takes less than 6 seconds. Now feeding a potion yeah but then I've home brewed that you know it's it's only 6 seconds. But no GM but rules is written by the book it says it is 6 seconds to drink a health potion and I'm just like no that's there's no that's way way too much. Uh that's the moment where you are okay I understand you're trying to be helpful but you're becoming a little bit belligerent and now this I'm going to say I've made my ruling Please respect. Again, it's all respect. Everything is respect. So I know we're getting kind of close here, uh, and we don't want to miss
2: these horror stories. Horror stories. Uh, so did you have a
1: couple of those?
2: I, I have a couple.
0: I have a few that we can kind of get in here. Uh, first of all, thank you to my amazing listeners and watchers over at uh, TikTok, Southern D&D, for sending in some of these great horror stories. I've uh, also got a few that I found online that I think would be really interesting. Uh so I think this is kind of like each of us will probably read two cuz we got tons we always do more of the everybody okay. loves a good horror story. yeah sure Uh so with that I believe we're going to start with this one right here and again is going to be totally anonymous yeah. only the listener will know what it is so here we go I was running a campaign for high level characters the game began with PCs at level 10 I permitted my players to have a handful of magic items scaled to their level along with starting gold There was one player who approached me with a customized weapon that had a number of questionable effects. Double strike, silvered plus two. But I allowed it under the condition that if it proved broken, I could readjust. We'd talk about finding my replacement. After a few sessions, the player wanted to gain abilities based on their background. These were also permitted because they made sense, even if, again, they leaned towards flexing the rules. Then the player came to me and wanted to swap some levels for a homebrew class. This was also permitted because, again, it seemed balanced enough. About 12 sessions in, the player began began to bully other PC, making rash and dangerous decisions that affected the fun of others, then got upset when there was a backlash. When he requested an NPC uh, side with him in a 1v1 against another PC in a tandem duel for command of the party, I chose to have the NPC refute. The player then pulled me aside at the end of the game and said, and I quote, it feels like you let everyone else have fun except me. You fill in all these wild requests for others, but I always get told no. End quote. This was the first and only time I've ever told a player outright that they were no longer welcome at my table. Their behavior had been escalating in other ways, mostly in belligerence, talking over other players or arguing with them. Being told that I never let them have fun was my last straw. The next session after they were dismissed, there was a noticeable lack of any tension. People were laughing, having a good time, waiting for one another to speak and take their turns. In a word, harmony was restored.
2: Sanctity of the table. The
0: sanctity of the table. First of all, props to the DM. He was a lot more accommodating than I was. One or two little things, yeah, I'm okay with. But if you bring me a grocery list of things you want, uh, we're going to have a serious conversation.
1: Yeah, that's that's when you go. Hey, uh, I don't think some of these are going to fly. You can have maybe one or two of these, but this list is a mile long. We're not going to do that. Most of the time, I start characters out level one. I,
2: I, I, and you don't get any of that stuff. So that's one of the reasons
0: why. Though you notice there that because the DM did facilitate his his homebrews and stuff, eventually that player thought he was entitled to more and more and more, and then he began to belittle and try to you know, control the players and then finally right there at the end, the DM did the best thing. When that player finally said, No when he stepped up and goes, Oh, you you know, I don't know why I'm not having fun, began to become confrontational, the DM did the best thing and said, Uh uh-uh, uh, we're done. Please leave. Yeah. That that's that's the best approach to take for as a dungeon master. If you've got that problem player, if they have over and over repeatedly been an issue, ask them to leave. Yeah. Uh, well, that was the one that I have. Uh, you guys have a horror story?
1: Uh, I personally have been fortunate that I don't have very many. I know of one that I heard secondhand. It was, I was not privy to being there, but it involved a uh, group. The first group I ever uh, encountered in playing D&D, where I first discovered D&D basically, one of them, uh, they were in a big fight and uh, something happened and they, one of them got a natural fail. So, what happened was the DM said, You failed so hard on your swing that you cut the other player's head off. And it's like, What? And they're like, Are you serious? And he's like, Yes, 100%. And, it, and it's like the whole group just devolved in. And I was like, Oh no are you serious the dm did that and he's like yeah he just straight up killed his other guy character because he failed that badly." wow that that is definitely that's a red flag talk about
0: agency
2: jesus wow yeah uh james you have one for uh unfortunately the main horror story i have i was a part of um not in a good way um and it's not malicious it just it was a very light-hearted one-shot game uh that our friend george was running ah george and uh we we started this game and it, it, it was kind of agreed that it was going to be a little bit of one of the drinky games yeah you know um one of our players pre-gamed the drinky game <laughs> <laughs> so he showed up ready to rock and we played
0: bunions and flagons
2: <laughs> yep and it was i mean it was it was fun we enjoyed the heck out of it um Early on in the game, I tried to kind of like steer us back onto the rails because, you know, we kept e- easing off of the rails yeah, into yeah. the lake. Um, <laughs> and uh, one of our players was a little late, and he showed up. And after probably 30 minutes, I realized uh, this isn't happening. I'm, I can't i can not be the straight guy in this situation. Um, and then I just jumped on the bus. Wow. And, and we had a fun night, but... We intentionally um, – God, George, I'm so sorry. We we intentionally um, made it very tough for George. Well, I hope I, he forgives us. You, I, I, there was no maliciousness in that, was there? So it, was, I, I, it was not malicious. Like, everybody has been friends with George forever, yeah. you know, and it was kind of a, a fun thing that they uh, – like, which I was not privy to this dynamic. It was my first time I played with several of these people. So at first I was like, oh, my God, poor George. I'm so sorry. Then I realized George was laughing and having fun. Um, for the most part, some, a little bit of fun. And, uh, you know, I, I hopped on the bandwagon. Um, but it was good. It was a good night. Um, definitely, definitely not something, an attitude you would want in more than a one shot. Like it was a campaign. If it was a campaign, uh, I would have to recuse myself from the podcast.
0: I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, have, I have one more quick one that I've, I actually have seen. I saw firsthand happen because happened to a, a friend of mine. He was playing in a Pathfinder game via Discord. And this, the session started off fun enough. The campaign, he was enjoying his character. But then as it kept going along, he noticed there was one character who kept getting, again, more and more spotlight, more and more favoritism. And this character was the only female member of this party. Mm, fancy that. Fancy that. And it got to the point where, where my friend, uh, he private messaged the Dungeon Master and said, hey, look, man, I'm enjoying the game, but I'm noticing, it's starting to feel like more and more that the uh, the Rogue is getting, you know, kind of a more spotlight than the rest of us. And, uh, you know, kind of maybe you should, I would appreciate if you kind of readjust, please. I understand they may have some stuff, but let's. it seems like you're starting to focus on them more. He then received a message from both the Dungeon Master and the Rogue that he had been confrontational, he had been uh too aggressive, been disrespectful, and that this was not the kind of uh the kind of game for him to be in that uh, he should just leave. And my friend, being the example of cool diplomacy he, he was, told them both, yo fuck themselves and promptly left that Discord.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, the again that that example of the the DM and the player kind of coming together in a way that Look, I, I've I've been there. We've all been the kid with the goo goo eyes for the pretty girl. But you cannot let that translate into a game, especially one where you have complete under control of the world itself. And if she bats her eyes at you and goes, "Can I have a wondrous item? You're level one, just a small one." Oh, okay. Here's a holy avenger. You could have it. <laughs> don't be a weirdo. Don't, don't, don't be a creep. Be a weirdo. Don't 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 be cringe. Don't be a creep. <laughs> Uh, well, I think, unfortunately, believe that's all the time we have for, for today for these. I've got a ton of these. We may do just a, a horror story uh, episode as well. Uh, Brody, Elder Fenris, thank you so very, very much for joining us on the podcast. Folks, you've heard me mention on TikTok and here about Stagande, the Scars of Midgard. This is their dungeon master, Brody. He is an amazing DM, great talent at, at painting miniatures, and just a a great and interesting fellow, and just a... A nerd among nerds. And I hope we can have you back on the podcast more, my friend. Soon. <laughs> so with that, for Playing With Advantage, I, as always, am Southern d a.k.a. Kenneth Moffat. And I'm James. I, I have a hard time saying master. I'm James. You guys be <laughs> safe out there. <laughs> and whatever you folks do, whatever adventures you may have, may they be fun and filled with uh, love, laughter, and respect. And we will see you guys later. Later.